Welcome to Parenting Bites. This is Rebecca Levy of Kids Views. I'm here today with Amy Oztan of Amy Ever After. Hello. Hello. And Andrea Smith, our technology guru extraordinaire. Hello. Hello. Uh, today on the show, we are talking about an article that was in the parenting section of the New York Times last week on September 13th called The Rage Mothers Don't Talk About. Mothers are supposed to be patient martyrs, so our rage festers beneath our shame by Minna Dubin. Does it ever. <laughs> we thought we'd talk about this article. I mean, it's so funny because that's the point of the article is that women and mom, you know, moms don't like to talk about it. So I was like, should we talk about this? I don't know. Um, meanwhile, that's the entire point of the article. <laughs> so I have to say, I am really excited to talk about this, the three of us, because I feel like we're at all of us. Um, I mean, Andrea, you're the most ahead, but you it's very hard to talk about when you're in it <laughs> and much easier to talk about when you're sort of through it. Oh, yeah. And it's also far enough away that people don't bother calling Child Protective Services on me when I tell some stories. Like, they, my kids survived. We're all fine. They're all teenagers and everything's good now. Right. But looking through that rearview mirror, oh, oh man. Yeah. I, well, we'll dive into that. And and I hope this article kind of opens up more of a discussion about it. I actually do think there's more discussion about it than this author realizes. It's just that she has a three-year-old. Um, yeah. So when everything's just so new to you and raw, you don't even realize how many times this has been sort of talked about. Um, but we're going to dive into this article and talk about that. We haven't really had this kind of personal article in a long time. I'm excited to, to dive into this with you guys. And then we will have our bites of the week. So we'll be right back talking about the rage mothers don't talk about. Okay, so let's dive in to this article that was in the personal stories section of parenting, which honestly, I haven't, I actually really like this parenting section, but it only deals with little kids and infancy. So I don't read it that much. Um, and this article came up in my Facebook feed. So I'm like, what have I been looking at and reading that this came up in my feed? Um, but of course I had to read it because I was like, ooh, rage that mothers don't talk about. And it was, it's really, really good. And I feel like for those people who haven't read it, um, we'll obviously have a link to it, but we should, we should talk a little bit about it um, so people understand what it's about. And so the the author has a three-year-old son, and she starts this article really violently, mm -hmm. um, talking about how the rage is, like, in her hands, and she's making fists, and she wants to hurt someone, and, you know, she wants to rip open pillows and punch holes in the drywall, and how she has to say to herself, sort of like, don't touch your son, like, don't touch him, don't touch him, like, it's obviously, like, she would never do that but that there's like a gray area where she's like squeezed his arm too tight or ripped a you know velcro cape off of his neck or something um and it's it's interesting and she talks about it she calls it mother rage like that it's this specific kind of rage and that it's like the most inappropriate rage you're not supposed to want to ever hurt your kids you're supposed to have this endless amount of patience you know you have to say like I love my child but 
um, like as if it's like a lack of love, right? But also I feel like that's why it's so rage inducing because I've been with my husband for 30 years and trust me, he's made me mad, but he has never made me ragey in the way that my kids do. And I think it's because like you made them. They exist because of you. You love them with everything. And then when they like act like little shits, it's just such a betrayal. You think that's it? Because I feel like with a husband or spouse or partner, at least they have, or most of them anyway, have like an adult ability to either have a conversation or you know that they should be behaving a certain way. But a two-year-old or a three-year-old, they don't have the capacity and capability to behave the way that you want them to behave. And I feel like some of it is just so frustrating because you can't relate to the way their brain is moving. Like you're, they're just on a totally different wavelength. That is all true, except... You know, my kids are teenagers now, and so this doesn't happen with, like, the hourly frequency that it did when they were little, but it still happens occasionally, and they're now old enough to express themselves and and to talk about it, and it's still, it just feels so different than if anybody else did the exact same things that they're doing. Okay, so let's discuss that, because nobody else would do the exact same things they're doing. So that's, I think, the crux of it. And I'm going to talk about a three-year-old for a second. If an adult picked a bowl of cereal off the table and threw it on the floor, you would actually probably think there was something wrong with that person or you would be scared of that person, right? Like if my husband threw a bowl of cereal, I would be like, I'm getting the hell out of here. Like that is some crazy man rage. That is crazy. If a child does it, it's frustrating because like you're not scared of your child now. That child, they did it because like they thought it was funny or they wanted to see a reaction. Now you have to clean it up. <laughs> now you have to get them something else to eat. Now you have to figure out what to do with this creature while you have to clean it up and get them something else to eat. Um but I actually think the rage comes from your own sense of, I can't believe this is what I'm freaking doing. <laughs> like that, and I can tell you that's where my rage came from. It didn't come from like, oh my God, my child's so defiant or something. It came from my own frustration at being home with my kids, trying to be a freelance writer at the same time trying to figure out what my own identity was now as being a mom and trying to have some of my own identity and like all of my own frustration with that. And then when the day just went to shit <laughs> or like one of them just acted totally crazy and I thought like there was so much rage in me for why am I even doing this? Like I should just go to work and have a nanny and like, not be dealing with this and not be trying to like work from home. Um, or if I had a long day where maybe I had meetings and things like that, cause I was freelance and I came back to that, you know, I can see like as a working mom, like you're so tired at the end of working all day and you're trying to do everything. And then your kid acts like that. And you're like, how much more can you take when you're already exhausted? Right. 
So for, I will say from the working mother standpoint, you know, the, the rage is there as well, right? Because you're at yeah. work and you come home and you just want the time to be nice. It's like the guilty divorce dad syndrome, right? You just want the time that you're spending with your kid to be nice time and to be fun time because you're not there a lot of the time. And so when they do something like that, when they throw that cereal bowl, when they get crazy, when they have a temper tantrum, you're even more like, oh my God, you know, I only have a little bit of time with you. I wanted this to be nice and I have to make dinner and I have to right. get ready for work tomorrow. And, you know, all of those things going through your head that, you know, it's, I think it's no matter what side of the fence you're on, those feelings are still there. Yes, I think so too. And I think, so this reminds me when we had Darcy Lockman on a few months ago with her book, All the Rage, um, talking about how women are still doing just as much, even if they're working full time, they're picking up that whole second shift and the emotional burden that women pick up. When I read this article, all I could think was, oh my God, this woman needs help. And I don't just mean like mental help because she talks about going to this mom anger management, which I thought, oh my God, I can't believe this exists, like separate anger management for moms. But I thought this woman needs a freaking break. Like she needs someone to like either be helping with the housework or, you know, watching her kid for two hours a day so she can go for a walk or go to the gym or whatever it is. Um, she was doing everything and obviously was a freelancer. And, you know, the fact that she would kind of, you know, that her partner would call and be like, how'd your day go? Like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, at that point you want to kill that person. And it, it just makes me feel like it goes back to the idea that women should be able to do everything, but also that somehow women don't need support like that there's no affordable daycare, that there's no, that you're just making these decisions. So you're taking this on. And most of the time it is still the mom um, and not, you know, the dad, even though there's a more stay-at-home dads now, it's not, not even equal by a long shot, that there's no support system for women. So now you feel this rage and now you feel guilty that you feel this rage. And now you don't have anyone to talk to about this rage. And your day is just going to cycle like that again the next day. Well, the article puts it so well. It, it talks about repeated aggravations um, can dramatically increase anger so that by the third or fourth rage trigger, the person is reacting on a level 10 in response to a misplaced key or a dropped spoon. That is me to a T. You know, like the thing that I go off on is usually not the big thing. Right. It just builds. I kind of take umbrage, though, with her assumption. I mean, yes, she says motherhood is relentless provocation. Yes and yes. But she says we're expected to be so saintly and patient to lovingly hold and care for our babies, even at their most challenging. That's the part that I kind of take umbrage at, because who says that? I mean, like even the most patient, I'm sure, you know, June Cleary or whatever her name was. Cleaver? Like everyone, Cleaver, thank you. It's Beverly Cleary, June Cleaver. Um, you know, nobody is saintly and patient with an infant and a toddler. I'm sorry. I don't know. Maybe part of the problem is that people perceive that that's the expectation. Yes. Yeah. Well, we talked about that with Instagram, right? Yeah, I know a lot of people who do expect that from themselves and who really do beat themselves up when they can't live up to that. Well, I think part of it, too, is that, 
you know, you, you vacillate between this is supposed to feel very natural, right? To just like care for your kid. And you see these, you see these people with these giant families on TV and somehow they're all getting all their stuff done and all the kids help. And, you know, and you see Instagram and Facebook where everything's like perfect, perfect, perfect. You never see the mom who's really at the end of it, <laughs> unless that's the poor mom who was caught on camera you know, at the parking lot whose kid refuses to get in the car seat. <laughs> oh, and like me dragging my children by their arms when they won't walk. Right. But see, I look at a mom doing that now and all I do is just kind of give them a knowing smile. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I see you and I'm really sorry because that sucks. You know, like I think people feel so judged when that happens. Oh, and yeah. once you've lived through it, like you can totally empathize with that person totally now but when I was in it it was a combination of I didn't know what else to do and I'm a terrible parent for not being able to handle this and you know I I, I did not have a lot of close friends at that stage that I could talk about this kind of thing with um or maybe I did and maybe it's like the article I just didn't think I was supposed to talk about it but I do remember talking to a neighbor about it one time when I just had this really 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 awful trip to Costco with my son. And um, she just had such practical advice that like, like, why was I trying to take a three year old right. on, you know, seven hours of errands? Like, why would I expect that a child would like he was he was behaving exactly like a three year old should behave at that point. And I just wanted him to conform to the things that I needed to get done that day. You know, it was a totally different perspective that in my in my tiredness and in my exasperation, I just couldn't see. Well, I, I agree with you. So we do need to talk about it. Yes, because I was in, I mean, I happened to pop in somewhere, I think it was Ann Taylor during the week and, and was trying something on. And there was this mother who was just like, you need to stay here with me. You need to stand next to me. And I'm like, why? Why are you bringing your kid, a, a two-year-old? shopping with you I mean I Sometimes understand that's, you can't do it otherwise I, I don't know I mean I guess I guess but it's just you're I melt down ask my sister I have a meltdown 30 minutes into any shopping experience if I haven't <laughs> found what I need after 30 minutes I have to be brought out literally <laughs> kicking and screaming I can't imagine a two-year-old or a three-year-old, especially someone who just wants to touch all the things and look and run and not stand there next to mommy while mommy's trying on clothes. But there was like a good six-year period where I had at least one child with me at pretty much all times. So if I needed clothes, if I needed groceries, if I needed, you know, to go to the bank or whatever, there just was a kid with me. There was no option. You know, sometimes you just, it's what you have to yeah, do. I guess. I, I don't know. Dates. I mean, I have I to trade say, it I, off with other parents. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I had twins and I will tell you that I just completely stopped doing things. I really did. I couldn't deal with the double stroller. It was such an ordeal getting them like dressed and out and this and that and and I really limited where I went and what I did. Um and not for good. Like it sucked. Like I was very isolated um particularly before my daughter started preschool because that's when I finally met other moms. And even then, you know, it was just easier for moms with one kid to to show up to things. <laughs> 
you know, or to leave things like, you know, I had to have both girls be happy wherever we were. Cause if one kid melts down, you got to go, you know, and then the other kid doesn't want to go. And, um, and I just, I just remember feeling like physically it was hard, like just pushing that stupid double stroller as they got bigger and bigger. Um, but the mental like preparation I had to do for going out with them mm-hmm. was especially in the winter when it was like two sets of boots, two sets of that stupid bunting in the stroller, like zipping them into it and the cover on the stroller. And then like, you know, the days like I couldn't hold an umbrella ever because I was had <laughs> the giant stupid double stroller. So like they didn't have like the nice easy ride strollers now where you can push them with one hand. This was like the big McLaren umbrella stroller. And I just remember like coming home one day and I was soaked from head to toe. They were dry as can be under the stupid <laughs> little plastic thing. And they kept, one of them kept slamming her feet on the wheels. Like that was the thing she thought was hilarious. And I would slam into the stroller because she would stop it. I would slam into the stroller and I was like literally soaking wet and I just needed to get home. And I lost it. Like, I will never forget. I lost it. Like, I just screamed or she didn't understand what I was saying, but I was like, that's it. I'm, you're going to get a nanny. (laughs) I'm going to work. (laughs) Like, I have had it. Like, I, and she definitely like, I don't think fully grasped what I was saying. She might've been like 18 months at the time, maybe two. And, but she knew like, I, and I was done. Like, I really was like, I can't do this every day. Like, I did not spend all my time like going to school and trying to build a writing career and doing all this to all of a sudden like be doing this shit like I really did feel that way and okay but did you talk to anyone no I mean that's it that's the whole thing I had no no mom friends I had zero mom friends when my girls were little none of my friends had had kids yet and I didn't hadn't met moms I just hadn't met any moms it was too hard with two of them I didn't go to mom groups I didn't the mother of twins groups I honestly went to one and I hated it and um and so I didn't have mom friends and I just was like miserable miserable and then it would be better like the next then they do something great and they were fabulous and it was okay again but and I was like I have to remember like I'm so privileged that I'm able to stay home with them you know like that had that guilt um too so I think it's like eight layers of things that go it into each so of... It so many layers of things, and I can't explain it. It's just, it's bad enough when a kid is doing something bad, but then when they're dry because you let yourself get soaked, that's like another layer of betrayal. Yeah. It's another layer of, how could you do this to me? I've given you everything. Yeah, I think that's what it is. And I think, I think it's so hard when you're in it. Like, I... I there were no real online communities then either. Like the, when the girls were two, I would say I'd started blogging when they were four or five. So that was the very beginning of mom blogging. Um, and I think we've talked about before, like it almost went too much the other way where all it was, was people complaining. Like mm-hmm. in the beginning of mom blogging, it was the opposite of what Instagram is now. It was like very raw <laughs> and very like, you know, kind of like bitch fest moms finally discovering that they could have these discussions and being like, yay. But it, well, um, I'm sure it was great for all those moms to be able to say, wait a minute, you, know, you want to shake your kids, so do I. And, right. and to be able to share that 
expression. It was fabulous. And I think part of that was because it was anonymity in the beginning. It wasn't really people saying that on Facebook. It was people writing under pseudonyms on blogs or just commenting under pseudonyms and able to say that stuff. Yeah, that must be a big difference between what you were seeing and what I was seeing because I was not seeing the people who were venting. I was seeing the people who were acting perfect. Ugh. And I mean, I started blogging in part to say, no, it's not perfect. It sucks. Here's what's wrong. See, I feel like that's what most people know. And that's certainly how Deuce, who I don't know if our listeners, how many go back that far, but she was sort of the queen of the mom bloggers originally. And that was what her blog was. It was Mm -hmm. very raw and very real. Um, But it was also anonymous in the beginning. It was anonymous in the beginning. And I do think that loss of anonymity has maybe made moms retreat again Um, because now it's all Facebook and Instagram. And it's the exact opposite. It's like women got screwed again. Like they had this great forum (laughs) for being able to be honest and talk about this stuff. And then somehow that like perfect image bullshit came back and stuck moms back in this idea um, with maybe the added pressure now that you should somehow be able to be like an Instagram influencer and And uh, monetize it and monetize it, monetize your kid. And now you'll be judged for sharing pictures of your kids. Like there's just no end to how moms get stuck like this. Like, honestly, it's what surprised me about this article was that she didn't have a place online to vent and talk about this. I thought she was going to say that. And instead she actually had this like in-person mom anger management group And she was like, I guess there was like one dad in the group. She's like, I guess dads don't have this problem. And I thought to myself, wow, that's really weird because in history and in life, men, fathers are the abusers Mm -hmm. in 90% of families, right? Like a huge- Or the ones that lose their cool. Like really lose it. Like are, you know, that cause women to have to flee and fear for their lives and their children's lives. And so- the fact that like there's this mom anger management class, but when men are like that, I guess it's just anger management. <laughs> well, <laughs> if yeah, they and finally get there. Like the the abusive dads and abusive husbands are not the ones who are going to go. Wow, I need help. I need to go to a rage class with a bunch of moms. Right. I mean, it's so interesting to me that the mom feels so guilty about this that that having this rage is so horrible and like guilt inducing and feeling like something's so wrong with her. And it's obviously you don't want someone to pinch their child and rage at their child. Um, But that it's seen as like this other thing. I don't know, just categorized totally differently. It's just so weird to me. So do you think that people talking about it, like back to the article, being able to share it, maybe in a mom group or with a therapist or even in an online group, do you think that that normalizes it for people and makes them feel like, well, okay, I have rage and it's okay as long as I'm not acting on it and maybe I can learn to be patient or what were they saying? Breathing through one nostril at a time. I'm not right, so sure it's about like, that. It's like uh, <laughs> yogic breathing. I mean, I like- right. I get the deep yoga breath. Okay. But I mean, you know, maybe just being able to say, this is okay. Everyone has it. Don't feel like you're the only one in the world. That's the part that always helps me. You know, when I find out that, oh, I'm not the only one who, you know, did yada, yada, yada. Right. To my kids, with my kids, whatever. Um, that does honestly make me feel better because it's parenthood can be so or motherhood can be so isolating. And just being able to reach out and say, am I crazy? Or, you know, and to find out that you're not alone, and you're not crazy, it really does help. And, you know, sometimes, I, I mean, I, I know that a lot of people, 
A lot of people won't post things when their name is attached to it, but a lot of people will. And you go into some of these private parenting groups and you're like, I can't believe they just admitted that semi-publicly under their own name. So the, the confessions are still going on. Yeah, I mean, look, Scary Mommy started in the same way as a community of pretty raw. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and I think that... um I don't know. It's something. I've, do you have you guys watched? This is going to sound off topic, but I promise it's not. Have you guys watched Mind Hunter? No. The series on I can't remember if it's Netflix or Amazon. I haven't. Um, it's amazing. It's just finished its second season, but it's it's a true. It's all based in true stuff. It is um, the beginning of the FBI serial killers behavioral unit. Yeah, like before they even had a term for it, right? They they coined the guy who wrote the book Mind Hunter. He's the FBI agent who coined the term serial killer. Um, and the first season, what's so interesting is they sort of dive into the childhood of these serial killers. I'm not saying that these woman's child's gonna be a serial killer, but <laughs> one of the things that's unifying um, is how, and not across all of them, but many is how many of them had very abusive moms, absent fathers and abusive moms or, but when you see the moms, um, the abuse isn't abuse necessarily as much as rage or putting down or that. And you know, it's because the moms are in these horrible positions, right? Where they have no help. They have so much rage in them from not being able to, you know, succeed in in professions or succeed in life or just being taken for granted like all the things that women feel um and then you see how it comes out on a kid like you just see this the way this cycle just keeps perpetuating itself well yeah that's the betrayal going the other way where the kid is like you are my mom why are you acting like this towards me Right. You know, I mean, how that has to look from a kid's eyes, like sometimes when I think about the ways that I used to scream at my children. Um, oh, oh, God, one time we were driving, it was just me and the, and the two kids, they were probably about three and six, we were driving uh, all the way down to Florida, I think, or North Carolina. And we stopped at a restaurant and my son's behavior was just awful. I mean, again, I probably should have predicted it because he'd been stuck in the car. And before we sat down in a restaurant, I probably should have found a place to run around. But, you know, it didn't occur to me at the time. And his behavior was so bad that when we got out of the restaurant, I put his sister in her car seat. And I put him like up on the sidewalk. And I said, I'm leaving. Bye. Oh my and God. I got in the car. I know. I got in the car. I closed the door. I turned it on. I pulled about a foot out and just watched his face. And it was like the most evil thing that I've ever done in my entire life. I cannot even believe I'm hearing uh, you say you did this. I, I, wow. I cannot explain to you how angry I was in that moment. That's so not you. Yeah, it wasn't me. And that's what the cumulative effect of having these little beings relying on you for hours and hours and hours every yeah. day and never having a moment to yourself. And, you know, in that particular situation, being stuck in the car with them, probably for several states, and just wanting to sit down and, you know, have a quiet meal. And I should have known that that was not possible. And it just all culminated in that one moment of 
just doing the worst possible thing that I could have done to the boy that I loved more than anything. Well, the worst thing you could have done was actually pull away. <laughs> so you didn't do that. <laughs> which I will say, which I don't know if this makes it better or worse. This was calculated. I knew that there was no chance I was going to pull away. I just wanted to scare him that badly into behaving better, right. which is such a horrible thing to do to a kid. And so now sometimes like when something happens, I'll think back like, is this rooted in that time when his mother almost left him at an IHOP in, you know? Aww. He probably oh, doesn't remember. If it makes you feel better, he probably doesn't Did you remember. ever God, talk I to him not. about it? No, because if he doesn't remember... I don't want to bring it up. Right. No. I don't want to like, you know, unseat some deep-seated you know memory. It's much better than what you do see sometimes, and I see on the subway all the time, is someone just beating on their kid. You know, you did something, and it may have scared him, but I believe that, you know, the worst thing someone could do is to pick up their hand or a fist or something and beat their kid. And, and that happens, too, when there's that much rage. So, you know, you did something calculated, but it didn't you didn't physically hurt him. Right. You weren't putting him in any danger whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that. Those moments like that is what I mean by lack of support, <laughs> like, though, that is not normal to be in that situ- to have to be in that situation. Right. Like. It is, it is not, it is not how humans evolved, right? It's like in the, it's in the modern, maybe last century that this has happened, but kids grew up in, in, a, a, village. in, a, in a village, a Meta- village. yes, literally <laughs> and figuratively, like kids had extended family around them. People yep. dropped their kids off with their moms. Cause like, Amy, you have no family here. Like, that's how my mom was. My mom came to New York. Her whole family was in Michigan. My mom had no family. Like, it's really hard, I think, for people to understand that you aren't supposed to go it alone. That is not how humans live. It's not how humans evolved. It's just what we've been forced to do. Yes, it's what we've been forced to do. And women have been forced to bear the brunt of that. Women are the ones who have been told, like, this is how it is, adjust. And men haven't had to make an adjustment. <laughs> like men, men kept doing what they did. But like, it's not normal not to have aunts and grandparents and uncle, you know, just cousins. Like my grandparents grew up, my grandfather was one of eight kids. His cousins were up and down the street. Like they went into any house. You know what I mean? Like there were like three or four houses and like there were eight of them and there were six of them and people just all like you went to any house after school, whichever house had food that day, you know, and, and you all grew up together. I mean, I had friends when I grew up in Brooklyn, I had so many friends whose grandparents, they lived in, you lived in a brownstone. The grandparents always lived on one floor or two floors and the rest of the family lived on the other three floors. Like that is what generations of Irish and Italian families did in Brooklyn and yeah, still it was do. definitely like that in my neighborhood in Brooklyn, you know, like yeah. I had Matt and the little girl down the street. I mean, she was dropped off with her grandmother every single day, dropped off in the morning, picked up in the evening. They're on school holidays. That's just what it was. But you know what? We need to help women today who don't right. have that kind of support. But Amy, if it may, I don't know if it'll make you feel better. But um, when Matt was 
much littler, Dick and I used to get in the car and drive four and a half, five hours to Washington, D.C. to go see my stepdaughter and, and her family. And I knew, I mean, you're saying, you know, I should have known that they couldn't be in a car and then go to a restaurant. I knew Mac couldn't be in a car for five hours. And this was before Nintendo or anything. I used to sit in the back seat and play Slinky with him and Play-Doh. And I'd have to then meet and go to a restaurant. And I would say all the time, can't we just go to someone's house so that he can run around or, you know, and I, and the same thing happened, but everyone would expect him to behave in a restaurant. And I was like, sorry, guys, he's been in a car for five hours. And finally, we planned it so that we would stop like in Baltimore and go to a museum or something and let him run around. But, But, you know, sometimes there's just expectations and it sucks. You know, you can't you can't make every situation the perfect situation for kids. Yeah, you have to live a life. You have to like things are and also sometimes you just don't know what that's going to be. You know, like, I mean, I had anxious kids. I couldn't be I could do everything right. Like my kids were on a super schedule, like mostly to make my life easier with twins. But there are just things you can't predict how your kid's going to react to something the first time like even something like my girls and part of it was because there were two of them but we would do those mommy and me classes like when I started doing those so that I would have something to do and go and hopefully meet other moms my girls wouldn't listen I I don't I can't tell you how many classes we were asked to leave (laughs) it was horrifying and we would get there and they were having the best time they weren't like having a temper tantrum they weren't those kids they were the kids who we went to super soccer stars I think I might have told this story before they were in the soccer goal net turning it upside down yelling (laughs) spaceship spaceship and then all the other kids were like spaceship that's way better than the soccer bullshit like all the kids came running over to play spaceship and my daughter was asked to leave ballet class because she liked to be under the piano figuring out how the hammers hit the strings and then of course and then she would just like jump up once in a while and do a leap across the floor and the other kids would be like that looks fun she was asked to leave ballet class like those were my kids. My kids were in the drum at the music class, in the giant drum. Like, they they didn't want to sit and pass the ball and play, hello, my name is, or whatever. And so it was horrifying for me. I was like, I cannot believe that my girls just will not listen. But if I tried to make them sit in circle time or sit and do that thing, then they, they wouldn't have a freak out, but they would just, it was just, like, not going to happen. And you know, eventually I had to realize that my girls were not going to pay attention in classes. Like that just wasn't going to be for them. And like, I had to figure something else, but in the interim, like it was so frustrating because then I had to get them like back in the double stroller and back (laughs) in the thing. And it was really expensive and you know, the whole thing. And I think, I mean, I would just say to all those new moms out there or moms of young kids out there, like you just, honestly have to take a big fat time out yourself like that is what you have to do you have to like I don't care if you put earbuds in like when you're with your kids like sometimes and and you know what use the damn screen like sit your kids in front of the tv and don't feel bad about it or give them a tablet and don't feel bad about it like I just think moms need space and time and I think they need help and that's the other thing is like if you can afford some help get some help I had um young 
babysitters, like young actors and dancers, because I live in Manhattan, so it's a great resource. I would have these 20-something-year-old girls who were, you know, getting their dance education degree or they were dancers and needed extra money to pay for class, you know, whatever it was, however they supported themselves. And I had them come over and just play with the girls. Um, and I wouldn't leave because I were there were two of them. So I always felt like it was just helping me. But it helped. Like having someone else come and just entertain your children if you can swing a young if you have a teenager in your neighborhood who you can not pay you don't have to pay that much money to like just do it like there's just no shame in it at all well there shouldn't be but I mean eventually I did have somebody come in I think it was three hours two days a week um to just just take the kids off my hands so that either I could go shopping without them or get a pedicure or just sit in my house silently and not have to deal with anything. And it was not a lot of money, you know, in the big scheme of things. And I will spend money on some stupid shit. But I felt guilty every time. I felt guilt. Like, why am I spending money for somebody else to take care of my kids when I'm perfectly capable of doing it myself? You know, it's it's all wrapped up in so much angst and guilt. It's right. insane. Because sometimes you just need a break. And I think that's what parents need to know, you know, with the the rage of motherhood. Sometimes you just need a break. Yeah. 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 And you should. Imagine if you were at a job like that all day where half the time you asked someone who worked for you to do something and they laughed in your face (laughs) or just wouldn't do it or threw something at you (laughs) or threw their stuff on the floor. Like... And you like were eating around someone else's schedule and you were, you know, all of a sudden thought you had 20 minutes to eat your lunch and now you don't because that person like and your coworkers were waking you up at 530 every morning. Yes. And your coworkers woke you up and someone spit on you, you know, (laughs) like, I mean, you would not. And someone asked you to like tie their shoes for them and get them ready every day. Like you would be you would go crazy at that job that the the employer would be reported, you know? So I think you have to cut yourself slack. And I think part of the problem is just everyone thinks motherhood should just be natural. Mm -hmm. Um, That there's this idea that like, and especially if you are staying at home with your kid, this guilt over like that you are now have this privilege of being a stay at home mom. That's what it was for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I felt like I shouldn't need to get help because I have the luxury of staying home all day with my kids. Yeah. It's, it compounds everything. And And that's um, why it's so crazy for people to think that mothers, as it says in the article, are expected to be saintly and patient Yeah, because they're not. And that, and that's what people need to remove the expectation that other people have. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I had, um, uh, my boss many years ago, the only woman I a- ever worked for, shockingly, um, when she had her her son, I remember her saying to me, like that idea of going back to work or not going back to work or whatever. And she said, I think my son will be happier with a mom who works, who is not depressed mm-hmm. <laughs> and is fulfilled than a mom who stays home and is angry and depressed. 
Absolutely. You know, and because I was like, yes, <laughs> it's know? all about what you want. Like I had a working mother. So I had this idea that, you know, if money would allow me to stay home, that's what I should do because my mother didn't get to do that. And I'm not sure I was really wired to do that. Yeah, I, I think few people are. I think few people are wired to do that without help. <laughs> I think there are people who um, can be much more happy and fulfilled being a stay-at-home mom if they also have help. And I think that's what you usually find is that people who manage that well usually also have help. Yeah, um, whatever form that's in. Whatever form it's in, right. And honestly, I mean, you know, it's so funny, all our different situations, because, um, Amy, you had the opportunity to be a full-time stay-at-home mom. Rebecca, you were trying to work freelance, but at home, I went back part-time to my full-time job. So I, I, I'm sure I mentioned this, I was the first job share at ABC News when I went back to work, hmm. and uh, very groundbreaking. And so I work three days a week. So like Monday and Fridays, I was off. I always had a four-day weekend. So I was able to like get through and, and do the thing at the playground and everything, knowing that I would have three days of being a grown-up and being, you know, putting on clothes and makeup and going to work. But then when I was at work, I couldn't wait to get home and do the mom thing again, you know, and, and it was it really was the best of both worlds, I have to say. And I, I did that for about eight years until I went back full time. And even then, you know, it was hard. It's hard being at work full time and not being home. And it's hard being home full time and not being at work. And it's hard yeah. being at your job when it's your home and you can't get anything done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's just no easy solution. <laughs> it's a no. conversation that will go on forever. It really will. But I will say like the rage is real. <laughs> And needs to be acknowledged and talked about, but the rage is not continuous. And I think maybe that's what moms of young kids need to know too. Your kid grows out of those things very quick. There'll be something new. I'm not mm -hmm. saying, you know, like bigger kids, bigger problems are very, the emotional problems become bigger or the social issues become bigger, but the physical exhaustion of it, which I think is a big piece of it, mm -hmm. that that's done like it does go away um which is why people have a second kid because they forget <laughs> um but but it but matters a lot i mean i i'm better equipped to handle the big teenage problems now that i'm not spending so much of my time physically caring for them yeah. i can give them more of my emotional care without yeah, going it, crazy it's a shift and it does go fast but boy it doesn't feel fast when you're in it um, so I feel for you moms of young kids, but, um, ask for help, get help. You're so not alone. <laughs> you so don't need to feel bad about how you feel. Um, but oh my God, get help. Especially if you really do feel like you want to do something physical, like either to yourself or your child or your spouse or, or the wall. Um, just, just reach out and get help. It's, there's no shame. Yeah. Um, and on that note, we will be right back with our bites of the week, which are much lighter, I promise. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be right back. We are back with our bites of the week. Amy, what do you have? Okay. Um, I have a TV show for once. Um, I was at Cookbook Club, my awesome club where once a month we meet and cook from the same cookbook and eat a lot of really good food. 
And, I so want to go to one of your cookbook oh, groups. <laughs> it's so Just much to fun. Eat. It's it, and and then like you bring home all these amazing leftovers. It's so it's like three days of fun. Um, but at the last cookbook club, my friend May mentioned a show that she had just started watching that I'd never heard of on Netflix called Grand Designs. Have you guys heard of this? No. no. And I watch all the design crap. <laughs> right. Like the amazing thing is that this show, it, it's a British show and it's been on for 20 years what? and I've never heard of it. Um, but there are only two seasons on Netflix, which is so frustrating because I'm almost done with the second season and then I will have no more grand designs. Um, and I don't even know, like, I tried to look on Wikipedia, like, which two seasons we had. And Wikipedia said one thing, but then, like, looking on the Channel 4 website in England said another thing. And Aww. it just seems to be, like, random episodes. But it's so good. It's a show about people who are building their dream houses. And I'm not one of those people who watches like HGTV or anything like that because it just it seems so contrived and so dramatic and I I really have no interest. This is like the British version. It's like everything that I want those shows to be. It is <laughs> understated and instead of like people, you know, screaming and throwing things like they do on American shows like if things are going fantastic, they're like, oh, that's jolly good. And if they're, you know, going awful, they're like, well, that's not ideal. And which sounds like it wouldn't make for good TV, but it's so much better because like you see them trying to hold in their rage or their joy because unlike something like um, Great British Bake Off, this isn't just your pride on the line. These people have like their life savings on the line. Oh. And you know, their lifetime dreams of, of building something amazing. And sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. And frustratingly, sometimes you get no resolution whatsoever. There were a couple episodes where like I immediately went to the internet trying to find out what happened with that. Um, cause there are follow-up episodes, but of course we don't get them on Netflix. Right. <laughs> so, um, it's just great. It's it's hosted by this guy named Kevin McLeod, who was like an architect and a designer himself. And so he has a lot of knowledge about what's going on. And he's also like, he's like 90% Paul Hollywood and will tell people exactly what he thinks of what's happening. But then he's like 10% Mary Berry when like he really thinks that people are trying very hard and doing their best and feels bad for them. And, um, and yeah, it's I love it. I, t I started one weekend and like watched like 12 episodes in one day, which I never do with TV shows. Wait, do they are the the people aren't building their houses, though, like they have a contractor. It depends. It oh, no. Depends. Yeah. Like <laughs> some. Can't. Yeah. And that's part of the drama, because sometimes you can see, you know, Kevin McLeod trying to be like, why didn't you hire someone <laughs> like this is so basic why are you trying to do this yourself and you know sometimes they have contractors but they think an architect isn't necessary and oh. you know it's a whole range of and the projects are all so different like you know everything from like castles to like new technologies to like you know huge underground basement houses and it's or like things you know out on the scottish countryside and cliffs and it's 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 just great and the people are great that's awesome i'm totally gonna look for that andrea what you got okay so you guys um downton abbey 
I was such a huge fan of the TV series. Were you? Did you guys watch? I've never seen it. Oh, I love <gasps> Downton Abbey. <sighs> All right. I can't believe there's a TV series that I watched that you didn't, <laughs> Amy. Um, I watched, however, I don't even know how many seasons there were. Four? I don't even know how many seasons, but um, I don't know either because we were like behind because like they got it first in Britain and then we right. get it. It was and... one of those British and it was on PBS and, and I was behind because when everybody, I think it was on when I was at Mashable and everybody was watching it and I had no idea about it. But it was one of those shows that Dick and I watched together. Even he loved it. And it was like, I just loved all the characters. So yay, they made it down to an Abbey movie that's uh, opening on September 20th. And I got to see a screening of it before it opened. And I have to tell you, it was like sitting in a theater with old friends. Like as each person, as Lady Mary came on, as Anna came on, as everyone came on the screen, I was like, oh yeah, her. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I remembered she got married to this one. Um, Dame Maggie Smith is in it and she is fabulous. Um, but the best part of this is they really got every single cast member back into the movie. Hmm. It was, it was amazing. And after the screening, they had a 30 minute interview with Julian Fellows, who is the writer of the show and he wrote the screenplay for the movie. Um, he is of course the wittiest British man with an incredibly wry sense of humor, as you would imagine. And he just talked about some of the funny things and how they had to arrange everybody's project schedule to get the taping, um, whether or not there would be another movie after this. But really, if you are a Downton Abbey fan, you have got to see this movie. It, it just makes you warm hearted and feel good. Oh, I'm so excited. They were all on the um, Today Show last week too like they had the entire cast i don't know if that segment's online but if it is we can link to it but it was it's so funny seeing them all out of costume yes yeah <laughs> you're like what oh you're like a real person you look so much younger you look so much like when they're not especially the ones who play you know the help because they're all like such severe like parted in the middle oh, with their hair pulled back yeah. and they're yep 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 and they're all like actually beautiful and you know young I felt so bad because I was invited to several different events around the movie. And since I've never seen the show, I turned them all down because, you know, I mean, I, I'm not a fan. And I thought that like those spots should go to people who are crazy fans. And oh. I know that someday I'm going to watch it. Yeah. You know, it's like it's on the list. Everybody's told me that that we'd love it and told us that we'd love it. And then I'm going to watch it and I'm going to be like, why didn't I go to those events? I'm going to be so upset. I could have met so Lady Mary. Exactly. <laughs> oh, well. I would, I'm going to go watch the, uh, some of the videos with the cast because I love to see them just in regular. It's so interesting to hear their accents, you know. Um, oh, it, yeah. It's, Lady they're, Mary They're all especially. like you feel like you know them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why people love like the reboots of shows, right? It's like that initial oh my god you were my friend for so long like right. it's nice to have you back in my living room <laughs> yeah so familiar <laughs> yeah. yeah they just they just do it i mean this writer just did an incredible thing letting you get to know each and every character and giving them personality it was wonderful so everybody who didn't see the tv show go see the movie and for those of you like amy <laughs> go start watching the show okay so my bite this week is a literal bite um i was just 
I don't cook in the summer. Like usually my girls are at camp. So I get out of the cooking mode. This year, my girls were home for the summer and I still was like, yeah, I'm not cooking. Like <laughs> this is what I do in the summer. I hate to cook in the summer. It's too hot. Um, I just don't enjoy it. So now that it's fall, I'm sort of back into back into my cooking. You know, it took me like a couple weeks to ramp up again. Like, oh my God, I have to grocery shop and think about what I'm going to buy and what I'm going to make this week and whatever. And I just needed new recipes. Like I didn't want to just go back to start making what I always kind of make. Like I have like, I don't know, 10 or 15 things that I kind of rotate through or pull up and whatever. And I started looking through the New York Times cooking section for just, I don't know, things that were not like oldies, but also things that weren't totally unfamiliar. And for some reason, I must have popped up on my, honestly, some sort of feed. Um, Might have been Food 52, actually. Um, Chicken Marbella, (laughs) which um, if you grew up in the... 80s and 90s, (laughs) was a sensation um, from the Silver Palette Cookbook, which if you lived in New York particularly, so I can't speak to people who lived in other parts of the country, maybe it also hit other parts of the country the same way. Everyone, where I grew up in Park Slope, everyone's parents had the Silver Palette Cookbook when it came out, even if they didn't cook. I had the Silver Palette Cookbook. I have it now because we did it for Cookbook Club. Oh, did you? So the Silver Palette Cookbook was groundbreaking when it came out. Um, it was just these two women who lived on the Upper West Side and, you know, had a catering company and then had a gourmet store, sort of the beginning of the gourmet store. Um, and then they put out this cookbook and it was amazing and everything in it is still amazing. And so chicken Marbella, I think was probably the most famous recipe from that. And it has stood the test of time, like nobody's business. So I made it for my daughters and they were like, what is this? And why haven't you made this before? This is the best thing ever. I was like, oh my God. And I don't even eat chicken. I'm like, it totally is. So I, I actually ate the chicken. So, cause I was like, now I have to eat it. Cause it, it tastes like my childhood. Um, although my mom never made it. So I should preface by saying that my mom didn't really cook. She cooked a little, um, but she, we had the silver palette cookbook. And so I made it. It was one of the first things I actually made for my family when I started cooking. At some point I started doing a lot of the cooking for my family. And that was one of my favorite recipes. It is the easiest thing for people to make. I just want to say, if you're a busy working parent and you hate cooking, you dump the chicken with all of the ingredients basically into a bowl the night before and stick that thing in your fridge. Hmm. And then when you're ready to cook it, you take the bowl and you dump that thing into the roasting pan, the whole thing, marinate and all, and then you pour some white wine in there and you sprinkle some brown sugar on top and you shove it in the oven for an hour. Well, dump and go meals are such a thing now. They were ahead of their time. And they were way ahead of their time. Well, now I want to go find my Silver Palette cookbook. I hope I didn't give it away when we moved. But you're right. I mean, that was such a good cookbook. So now I'm going to look for the chicken marbella. It's such a good cookbook. And my trick is for it is to, if you have a butcher that you go to, if that's how you get your chicken, but even if you don't, get a whole chicken cut up. Um, That is always my trick for people. And that is what they actually call for in the chicken Marbella recipe anyway. But if you have a butcher, ask them to cut it into eight, which is dividing the breast in half also, or just buy, you can buy the pieces you like, buy, make sure you're buying bone in skin on 
because that is all the flavor when you cook. And you just literally, you dump everything into the bag the night before and you dump it. I do a giant two gallon Ziploc. That's how I like to marinate. Um, and you just dump it into the roasting pan the next day. It's so good. Um, a great recipe for your kids to make if your kids are into cooking. Because again, there's minimal chopping. The I think the only thing you chop in the entire recipe is the garlic. And it says to puree it. I just grate the garlic. But you could dump the garlic into the food processor and give it a whir and it would be done in two seconds. Um, otherwise, everything else is whole that goes in the marinade. It's like prunes and olives and capers and oregano. That's it. Like olive oil, red wine vinegar. You're just dumping everything into the marinade and shoving the chicken in. It's so good. So that is my bite of the week. And now that it's colder out and I want to roast everything again, um, I'm happy. <laughs> I can roast, I'm happy. So that is it for this week. Thanks, ladies. Thank you. Thanks. Have a good week. You too. You can find links to everything we talked about on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash parentingbites or on parentingbites.com. Rate, review, subscribe, share wherever you listen to podcasts. We love to hear from you guys and we love when you guys share the podcast with your friends. And that's it. Until next week. Happy parenting. Bye. Bye. Hey, this is our Parenting Bites disclaimer. Everything we talk about on the show is our own opinion. Any products we recommend, it's our own personal recommendation for entertainment purposes only. If you buy something through our affiliate links or you just happen to buy or see or read or watch something that we've recommended, it's at your own risk.